Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. It is so good to be in the house of God. Certainly, we are not stopping worship. Preaching is just an extension of our worship. And I'm so excited to do so today. Psalm 118 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad anybody, uh, glad in it. Anybody glad that you, are, that you are alive, that you made it to another day, that you made it to another month, that God didn't take you out last night, but you are still here. I don't know about you, but there's two things that happened to me this morning. Number one, I don't know why I just was, was dragging a little bit. It was hard to get up. I've been doing some traveling, so it was a little difficult to get up this morning. Uh, but the second thing that happened is I woke up with so much gratitude that God gave me another day, another chance to fix what I messed up yesterday, another chance to give him praise, another chance to give him glory, another chance to represent him, another chance to worship him. Like the fact that I'm able to worship him is grace. God gave us another chance to worship him together with our brothers and sisters and another chance to preach the word of God and I'm not going to belabor the, the time because I went over in the first service. So won't you grab your Bibles and meet me in the New Testament? We're going to be in two passages. First, grab Mark chapter 11. Once you're there, if you could just put your finger there or put your tassel there, or if you got a device, just stay there. And then we'll be in Luke chapter 23 as well. I think God is going to speak from both of those places today. Um, as you turn there, what a time we had last week. Uh, celebrating our seventh year anniversary. Uh, it was just a phenomenal time. And I just want to take this opportunity. I didn't get to do so last week, but I want to take this opportunity to thank God for uh, everybody that serves, not just served last week, but everybody that serves at Epiphany Church. Uh, Epiphany is able to operate and function and do the mission that God has called us to because of faithful, faithful servants uh, that serve you, but ultimately Colossians 3 says we don't serve as unto man, but we serve as unto God. And so by serving you, we are able to serve God. And so there are people behind these cameras right now, right? There are people up in the, in the, in, in the sound booth. There's people doing lights. Shout out to Ayana and Darielle. There are people that are upstairs in the, in the tech room right now that are um, making sure the live stream is going out. You were welcomed by an amazing team. If you're a parent, you dropped your kids off. Somebody should slip an amen right there. You dropped your kids off and they are safe and they're learning about Jesus and they're, they're having fun. And, and I'm just grateful for each and every person that, that puts their hand to the plow and serves. So thank you and shout out to all of you guys. Um, let me also just quickly um, bring before you in December, December 18th was our Vision Sunday. And I, I shared with you guys that we ended last year with a 23% um, deficit uh, in terms of giving. So what, what, what that means is we had to be way, way more conservative on an already conservative budget. That also means that we had to um, tap into our savings more than we, more than we were comfortable with. Um, I don't know if you know how this thing works, but um, rent hits different on Atlantic than it did Fulton. It's just the math, just don't be mathing. Sometimes and and uh, but God is still provided and God has still been good. But we we ended last year with a with a deficit. And this is the first time in the existence of our church. And I came to you and I was like, man, I don't. I, we we gotta we gotta put our, our our resources together because God typically doesn't just drop down money from heaven. He uses you in order to support the mission of God. We have a very tight system on how we do our resources. We have very a lot of eyes that go into it um, to uh, to our spending, but there's also a lot of approvals. Um, on, on budgets and purchases. And so um, when I brought that news to you, you guys responded. So we're, we're at the first Sunday, the first day, but also the first Sunday of a new quarter. First quarter has ended. And um, Gabe was so gracious this morning to send me the first quarter numbers. And by God's grace, we are 6% above budget in the first quarter. Now, hold up. Don't get too comfortable. We got some more work to do. Uh, my family has certainly um, started to be more sacrificial. We, we asked you guys to consider giving because we were down 23%. We were asking everybody to give 23% more 
of uh, if you could do it, if you could stretch yourself, and if you weren't giving at all, we ask that you would consider to give. Uh, they used to say back in the day, this is good ground, this is good soil. 9% of your giving actually goes back out. Every, I mean, even when we had a deficit, 9% of your giving goes back out to support other churches that are doing uh, a, a, an amazing job, an amazing work in their cities all across, not domestically, but across the world. I don't know if you know that, but 9% goes back out. And so I'll give you guys a better breakdown once we have our members meeting. Um, it's coming up soon. But I just want to thank you guys. 6% above budget is nothing but God's grace and he's using you. So thank you all for, for, your, for your generosity. Um, all right, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, I have vivid, vivid, vivid memories of Palm Sunday when I was a kid. I was born and raised, honestly, in church, was, grew up in church. And we always did Palm Sunday and... You know, all the kids would take our palms. Anybody grew up like that? We'd take our palms to Sister Mallory. Sister Mallory would put a shukabuka on it, put it in a cross, and give it back to us. And we put it on the, either the rearview mirror or, as Gabe said, we put it on the refrigerator and watched that thing dry up. But it was something special about it, and we couldn't wait to, it, to, 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 uh, to get those palms. But I realized, you know, this week as I was contemplating Palm Sunday, I was like, man, I, you know, growing up, I was excited about the palms and receiving them, but I really didn't know the origin and the significance of Palm Sunday. And so today, that is what we'll be talking about. We'll be digging into the origin and, and kind, of, kind of looking and seeing, um, I don't know, what the Lord is going to do with our time today through Mark 11 and Luke 23. Why don't you pick me up? We're in Mark 11. Let's start there. Everybody there? Can y'all just talk back? Y'all there? All right. Pick me up in verse 7. It says this, and they brought the the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches in, in, in Mark he says leafy branches but if you go to the book of John John clarifies that it's actually palms that they went and cut off palm branches but it says they spread their cloaks and they spread leafy branches and they had that they had cut off from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting. Watch what they're saying. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Do me a favor. Jump real quick to Luke. Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 18. But they all cried out together, away with this man. And released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, excuse me, a January 6th insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate, meaning Pontius Pilate, addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, what, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. I want to preach today. If you can go back to Mark 11, that's where we're going to start. I want to preach today from the topic that's really posed as a question. Are you giving him palms or nails? Are you giving him, meaning Jesus, palms or nails? Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Um, Father, we are, we're back at it again. And we do so completely dependent on you, knowing that we can't forget, understand. We can't really even read this word without you. So, Father, would you breathe on us today? Take familiar passages like these two. On this Passion Week, this Holy Week, take these passages and illuminate them. Illuminate our hearts so that we can hear from Jesus. Lord, I pray Jesus would be front and center today. And we would hear from him and we would bask in his glory and we'd give him honor and we'd give him praise because we know that when he is praised, the Father is praised. So we thank you, O oh God, for your son, Jesus. It's in his name and his name alone we give glory. Amen. Are you giving him palms or nails? Years ago, while I was visiting Jerusalem, um, this is many years ago, I had the, I mean, really privilege and honor to be able to eat dinner, and not just dinner, but a Shabbat dinner at a Jewish rabbi's house. I've never done that before. I don't know if you've ever done it before. Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with, with friends that were um, of, the, of the Jewish tradition or, or religion. And, and so to have this Shabbat meal was a special moment. 
So I went, you know, open. I, I knew we had some disagreements, right? We didn't, as, as an Orthodox Christian that I am, I didn't, I didn't see things the way he saw things, but I got to enjoy. I went through the whole thing. I went through the, when you, when you walk in, there's a ceremonial washing. So I, I went through the ceremonial washing. And, and then after that, he kind of walked us around the house and he told us, hey, don't turn any lights off. And we went to the bathroom. He had tape on the light, the light switch. He said, if you turn this off, that's considered work for me to turn it back on. And because it's the Sabbath, I can't do no work. So if you turn all the lights off, I got I to gotta walk around the house for 24 hours with no lights. I mean, they take rest and Sabbath very serious. And then after that, we finally sat down and, and him and his family, him and his wife began to sing songs. That was part of the Shabbat meal. And, and then um, they prayed and then they brought out the food, kept bringing out the food. And as they were bringing out the, few, the food, this was the time that I got to really just have some dialogue with this Jewish rabbi. I mean, a scholar in the Old Testament. And we begin to talk uh, specifically about Moses' writings. And he would ask me, well, how, how do you view Moses' writings? How do you view the Old Testament? And he would share with me how he viewed them and how he, he, he felt like God was connected to Israel. And I would, yes and amen. And, and, and he, but he stopped there. And then he said, well, pastor, how do you view the Old Testament, specifically the, the books of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, num Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The, they call it the Tanakh or the Torah, or the Torah. And I said, well, I view Moses' writings and all of the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Not only that, but I have a hyper focus on Jesus because I understand that Jesus is the climax of the Bible. What do I mean by that? All of the Old Testament talks about this Messiah that is coming. Jesus steps on the scene, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the, the birth and the life and the death of Jesus. And then the rest of the Old Testament after Jesus dies all points back to this work that he did on the cross. So Jesus is the climax of the scripture. And I said, let me, let me, let me show you what I mean by that. I took him to John 5. I said, okay, Jesus is walking around with, with Jewish, uh, uh, these Jewish um, um, Pharisees, similar to what you are as a Jewish rabbi. He would, he would talk to them and and, and they were questioning him. And Jesus says to them something that is so profound. He says in John chapter five, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the very scriptures that bear witness about your boy. And so what Jesus basically says is you read in these stories as though they cute stories that stop in, in Moses writings. But these stories are pointing to something else. Mainly they're pointing to the one that is standing before you. The, the Jewish rabbi was unconvinced. And he's like, you got to give me examples of what you mean by that. I said, all right, well, let, let's, let's look at, um, at, at Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, the Bible says that God says to him, you read that story as just God providing. It's a place of provision. Jehovah Jireh is what the first time we see in the scriptures that Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider, is used. In Genesis 22, I said, when you read that, you stop at just God's provision for Abraham. But I think when I read it through the New Testament, I see that it's not just provision for Abraham, it's provision for all that have trusted in Jesus. Let me prove that to you. The Bible says that when God said to Abraham, take your son, he says this, your only son. I said, you stop there, but that sounds like somebody in the New Testament. Take your son and your own. Oh, let me show you more though. Then the scripture says that that uh, Abraham took the wood and he put it on the back of Isaac. And he said, now I need you to go up the hill, up Mount Moriah. That sounds like somebody else later on that's going to take wood and put it on his back and carry it up Golgotha's hill. But let me go deeper. Once you're on the mountain, the Bible says that Abraham lifts up the knife and God says, wait, wait, don't do it. And he looks over. I don't know if he'd like tweet, looks over to the left, but he sees a ram that's stuck in the thicket. And the Bible says that the ram was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. So I see substitutionary atonement. That means that Isaac should have died, but the ram got what Isaac got. Let me take you to the New Testament. I should have died, but Jesus took what I got. I was in my bag on this day, y'all. And I said, you know what? I said, can I take you somewhere else, uh, Mr. Rabbi? He said, sure. I said, let's go to Isaiah 61 real quick. 
And when we went to Isaiah 61, I began to read to him what Isaiah 61 says. Here's Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news or preach and to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set liberty those that are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I said, you, you read that and you're waiting for that to happen. But in Luke chapter four, Jesus is in the synagogue. Jesus opens up the scroll, reads this exact passage, Isaiah 61, and Jesus is a gangster. Because after he reads it, the Bible says he rolls it back up and he sits down and all eyes get on him. And here's what Jesus says in verse number 20. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. So in other words, like this is the ultimate mic drop. This Jesus is a top G right here. He sits down and says, I just fulfilled Isaiah 61 in your presence. Mr. Rabbi, you read Isaiah 61 and you're still waiting for somebody to do that. But my king has already did it. Mr. Rabbi, can I take you one more place? He said, this is the last one, young man. And so I took him to Zechariah 9. I said, when you read Zechariah 9, you're still waiting for something to happen. Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a coil, of a coal. I said, you're waiting for a Messiah to come mounted on a donkey, but in the passage that is before us, Mark chapter 11, my Messiah has already mounted the donkey, rode in in Jerusalem, and did the work of salvation on my behalf. So you're waiting for what has already been done. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Let me be clear. He didn't do away with the Old Testament. He fulfilled it. So the reason we're not sitting in here sacrificing bulls and, and goats and pigeons is because Jesus fulfilled it and became the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Let me just give you Bible reading 101 for those of you who study scripture. And I pray, I really do. I pray that you are not the person that just comes and only hears the word or reads the word on a Sunday. I pray that when you opened up your Bible app today or you opened up your Bible, it didn't fall in the same place we were in Matthew 16 last week. My hope and prayer is that you are actually wrestling and hearing from the Lord this week. But let me give you just quick Bible 101. This is how you study scripture. Always look for Jesus. If you, if you read the Bible and don't get to Jesus, you wasted time. Do, do you hear me? And here's the thing about it. He ain't hard to find. I just gave you three places in scripture. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Jesus says, the, uh, the prophets wrote about me. Jesus is very clear that David wrote about him. So Jesus is not hard to find. And this is why we talk that talk about Jesus every week. There, there, there's not a song that we should sing that is not about Jesus and our worship. There's not a sermon that you hear that shouldn't find its fulfillment in Jesus. Listen to me, and I mean this, I so mean this. If you come to this church and you don't hear the preacher say Jesus at all, don't come back. Don't come back. Why would you come, why would you come back? You got a, a beautiful expounding on nothing. Because Jesus is not only the fulfillment of Scripture, he is the climax of our services. Our devotions should be about him. Our songs should be about him. And all of our sermons should be about him. There's a, there, there's a theologian named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I, I was quoting him to our, a preaching class that I was uh, teaching yesterday. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this about preaching Christ. He says, a sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread with no flour in it. No Christ in your sermon? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Understand the reason we come in here and talk about Jesus every week, it's not because we don't have anything to say. It's that I ain't found nothing better to preach about. What, what, else, what else is there to talk about? He has the very words of life for us. He has, he, has the, he has the message that brings us salvation. And so in the passage that is before us, Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah 9. Now, what do I mean by that? This passage that is before us is called the triumphal entry. Somebody say the triumphal entry. This is where we start Passion Week or, or, or some, some will call it Holy Week. This is, this is the week, this is the event where Jesus rides in from the Mount of Olives 
down into Jerusalem for the last time. And why is he riding into Jerusalem? He's doing so for one purpose, because he knows that his time has come for him to fulfill all things, save the lost, fix the broken, fix what happened in Genesis 3. He now in Mark 11 is about to finish what was done in Genesis 3, which is when we first broke everything through Adam and Eve. So let's, let's, let's read a little bit here and see, because I'm so captivated. When I look at how Jesus rides into the city, I'm so captivated by the response of the people, two different responses, two different crowds. Let's look at the first crowd, verse number seven. And they bought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches and that they had cut off from fields. And those who went before, uh, before and those who followed were shouting. Here's, here's how they responded to Jesus coming in. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, right here in this, this moment, tells his disciples, hey, it's time for me to fulfill scripture. So what I need you to do is go find a donkey. So the, the disciples go and they find a donkey. And then the Bible says that Jesus mounts on it and he mounts the donkey and he rides it into Jerusalem. And when he's riding into, into Jerusalem, everybody in Jerusalem would have known what was happening. What is happening right now? Jesus is on full display that he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Write this down. The primary emphasis of this passage is the revelation of Jesus to Israel, that he is their long-awaited king. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, through his ministry, often has operated incognito. Consider Jesus' ministry. Je Jesus, up until this point, has operated and done stuff and told people, don't tell nobody. You remember the first, the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was, was where? The wedding at Cana. Y'all read your Bibles. The wedding at Cana was the first miracle Jesus performed. And the Bible says that First of all, we should have knew he was the Messiah then. And let me tell you all why. Not because he turned the water into wine, but we should have knew by his response to his mother. Because the Bible says that Mary comes up to him and says, we, we've run out of wine. And his response is, woman? Now, first of all, like, imagine saying woman to your mother. You should have known he was the Messiah by his response. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? And then he says to her, my hour has not come. In other words, I am veiling. I'm incognito right now. Yeah, I can't. I am, I am the king of glory, but I can't show all my glory yet. And so I got I to gotta operate incognito for a moment. What about the healing of the leper? Uh, the, the scripture tells me the first time he heals the leper in Mark chapter one, here's what Jesus said to him. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone. He does the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 8 when he heals a different leper. After he heals that leper, he says the exact same thing. See that you tell no one. So over and over again, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was veiling who he was. But in the passage that is before us, he is no longer veiling his glory. He's on full display. I am your God. I am the Messiah. And, 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 and I love Jesus because not only did he tell people not to say anything, but there were parables that he gave and he intentionally gave the parable to confuse people. You know, he says that he, he says, man, I tell parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Like when I tell a story in the scripture, uh, in my sermon, I want to highlight the scripture. I'm trying to make it clear. Jesus sometimes did that to veil who he was. And so right now, this is a big moment. The triumphal entry means that everybody around would have read Zechariah 9 and said, oh, he is the Messiah. What, what, I, what I love about Jesus revealing himself and, and to some people not revealing himself, I personally woke up this morning so grateful that God decided not to just ride in to Jerusalem, but that God decided to ride into my life. Because riding into my life, he then revealed who he was. Don't get it twisted. You didn't wake up saying, I want to believe in Jesus. No, no, no. You, you woke up. The Bible says in Psalm 51 that we, are, we were born into sin and shaped into iniquity. And so we woke up enemies. We, we were brought into the, to this earth enemies of God. But what God does is he reveals to you Jesus. So the only reason you got up in the altar call and say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, 10 times, came down to the altar and gave your life to the Lord is because in your seat, Jesus said, here I am. He, he reveals himself to us. And I'm so grateful that in moments you might 
hide yourself from some people, but that you revealed yourself to me. And in the revelation of who you are, I want to respond the way the crowd responded. I want to take off my cloak and lay it down. I want to go cut off branches and lay it down, which is how you treated a king because Jesus is my king. And some of y'all are in here and y'all still trying to figure out who he is. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. He is the Messiah. He, he is God. He is the one Isaiah will say the government sits on his shoulders. He's the one my boys will say is a top G. He, he, he's the one that we have been, he's the one that lived the life you could never live, died the death that you could not die, and he is the one that is coming back for us. Jesus is worthy of our praise. <laughs> Riding in on this donkey was a clear declaration. I am who I say that I am. Now, I love the response. They say Hosanna. This word Hosanna is an interesting word. It, it, it actually has dual meaning. Uh, this word, uh, Hosanna, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word that means save us. So when people were saying Hosanna, some of them were meaning it by saying, save us. You are the Messiah. But then there's another group that doesn't use it in the term of, of save us, but it is more of a shout of praise. It's similar to how we say hallelujah. And so some people were laying down cloaks and they were asking for salvation. And some people were, were laying down the palms and they were just simply praising the one who they already had believed in. Either way, this is a good example for us because it shows us that we should be loud and we should be rambunctious and we should be a little crazy in our praise. As long as we are in order, we should lift up a praise in this room. If y'all come in here going, oh, they got lights and they got, they got cameras and they got loud music and calling up here going back and forth and singing and you sitting here going, this is too much. No, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's, it's just not enough. Hosanna in the highest. I'm going to lay it down before my great God and my King. So this crowd responds and they are very clear that Jesus is worthy of our praise. So today when you go out and you grab that palm that's out in the lobby, when you look at it or you want to make it no cross, when you look at that palm later on this week or next week or next month, it should breed two things. Number one, it should remind you that Jesus has revealed himself to you. But the second thing it should remind you is, Oh, because I got the revelation of who Jesus is, I better praise him. And let me tell you something about worship and, and praising. I know some of us can only do so when we come into the gathering. And that's what messed people up in the pandemic. That's what messed people up in the pandemic. I think the most dysfunctional part of people in the pandemic was that they've had to figure out how to worship at home. I ain't got my thighs to play the keyboard. Where's, where's Colin at? Where's Chris at? Where, where's Pastor B at? Like, I, how do I worship at home? But... Can I promise you, when you've matured in your faith, the best worship is at home? What I give here is just an overflow of what I've had all week. I mean, you, you ever been going through your week? You ever been on the train? And you was listening to worship and you forgot you was on the train? And you went up into a praise? You ever been driving in your car? And you had to pull over and give God a quick praise? You ever been at work and you, you got real church, you actually went out like this and went to the bathroom and gave God a praise? You ever been chilling at brunch with your people and you thought about the goodness of Jesus and something happened on the inside and you begin to go into a praise? The best praise is at home. You ever been home vacuuming or, or sweeping and mopping and you just was worshiping and worshiping? Listen, Epiphany Church, you get the overflow of what you have at home. And so these, they, they, this crowd is very clear. They're like, Hosanna, in the highest. You, 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 are, you are the one we have been waiting for. But I'm so mesmerized because that's one response. Can you go to Luke 23 real quick? Because there is a second crowd that responds differently. Now, the first crowd responded and said, Hosanna in the highest. Now, many commentators, some commentators say that the crowd overlaps. It's, it's the same crowd. Some will say it's some of the same crowd. Some will say it's not the same crowd. I don't know, but I think we should take a hodgepodge of both. It's hard for me not to believe that this is some of the same people. But watch the second response that they give to Jesus. Luke 23, verse 18. But they cried out with a loud voice. So they were loud. Here it is. Away with this man. And release to us Barabbas. 
a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate, meaning Pontius Pilate, addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish him and release him. And they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. Do you see the second response? This is the trial of Jesus. This is, this is where the Jewish leaders would have got together and they would have saw Jesus riding in and they knew that that is the moment he needs to be killed. We need to take him out. And so they conspire. And I want to be clear. This is the, the, the Jews that are crucifying Jesus, not the Roman soldiers, although the Roman soldiers were involved. They were not the ones that were condemning Jesus. It was the Jews. And what is so crazy is in condemning Jesus, they actually were condemning themselves because they were condemning the one and only person that actually could save them. And I mean, there's a point where they, when they're condemning Jesus, they were like, the blood of, of him is, is on us, is on our heads. I was like, you know how prophetic that is? It sure is, but it's not in, in a way of salvation. In fact, when Jesus was standing with Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19, the Bible says that Jesus says, you, you, you think you have authority over me? Oh, you only get authority when my heavenly father has given it to you. But then he goes on to say, therefore, those who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. In other words, those that are shouting right now, crucify him, crucify him, are, are guilty of the greatest sin. Well, what is the greatest sin? The rejection of Jesus. The denunciation of Jesus. Now, here's what I'm clear on in this room. I've passed along enough. Like, I, I think y'all should give your boy a little, a little credit here. I know that this room is not filled with people that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. This room is also filled with people that are very adamant that Jesus has been rejected in their life. And so they are on the crucify him side. Now, I'm not beating you up. I'm glad you came to church. Maybe, and maybe you're not saying crucify him, but your life actually is lived as a crucify him. And, and, and I, I know that you're in this room, but here's my hope today is that you would switch the nails and receive palms. That's my hope. That's, that's my thesis. That's my prayer. That's why I got up this morning early and prayed for this room because I know that there are some people that are adamant. And it's so crazy because, you know, there are some people that are, are, are genuinely, they're angry when they think about Jesus. You ever meet that type of person? You ever seen those type of videos where somebody just talking about Jesus, minding their own business, and somebody come by and smack the megaphone, or they, they're angry when they hear about Jesus. And yes, we know that that's some spiritual warfare. Yeah, we get that. That's real. But at the core of this, there are people that walk around with nails, not palms. And some of those people might be in this room. Maybe you were scrolling today and you just clicked on our live stream on, on Facebook or on YouTube, but nevertheless, you are in the crucify him side. Here's what I love about Jesus. Even those that say crucify him get grace. You get grace today. He, he's made available to you salvation. If you're in here and you're going, I don't know Jesus. I, I have never lived my life under him. Today, he offers you the ability to be saved. And how does he do so? Through one act of grace. One crowd said, Hosanna. Another crowd said, crucify him. One crowd said, get the palms. The other crowd said, get the nails. One crowd said, save us, Hosanna. There's another crowd that says, kill him, crucify him. And I'm not 100% sure on, on where you land on the spectrum, but today is the day you need to understand whether in your hand you have palms or nails. And here's what I know. Everybody got one of them. You, you did not walk in here empty-handed. Either you are laying down palms and saying, Hosanna in the highest, or you are pulling out the nails and you are crucifying Jesus. And most of us in the room, we actually fluctuate between the two. And what I mean by that is not salvation and fluctuate between not being not saved. I mean, we fluctuate between giving him honor and giving him dishonor. Now, I know what you're doing with your religious self. I know it. I know what you're doing. This is what you're doing. You say it right now, there's no way I've only given him palms in my life. But do you know, I don't think you got a, a closer walk with Jesus than Peter did. But even Peter fluctuated. 
Last week, my pastor was in here and he's preaching on Matthew 16. And Matthew 16, Jesus walking around going, yo, who do people say that I am? And the Bible says that Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. We went crazy in here. Uh, Colin got up here. We build your church. We went, we went crazy. We was going crazy. We, I, saw, I thought Colin was swinging from the lights. I mean, we was going crazy because we were like, yes, Peter's confession. But do you know that same Peter later on, that same Peter later on actually says, I don't know him and denied Jesus three times. And so if you're in here going, it's no way I fluctuate. Trust me, all of us in this room on some level have fluctuated between palms and nails. And don't be in here and be uh, uh, this, have this idea that you are above that. No, none of us are above that. All of us, because we live in this flesh and we have two natures. In you is the nature of Christ, which wants to do the will of God. But y'all know this flesh? That's why the Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is... Oh, the flesh is so weak, and we often will fluctuate between palms and nails, but my greatest prayer today is that this year, the only thing we would give Jesus is palms. The only thing we would give him is honor. The only thing that we would give him is praise. So there's two crowds. There's two extremes. One extreme is Hosanna. Another extreme is crucify him. Peter exemplifies that in saying you are the Messiah, but also exemplifies that in saying, I don't know you. And you know what's crazy? The only thing that changed with Peter, the only thing that changed was his situation. That's it. And and most of us in this room, I don't think you realize that the things that cause us to fluctuate between palms and nails often is our situation. What we've become is situational Christians, which actually isn't a real Christian. We're situational Christians. We only, I think we need to have a better theology of the cost of discipleship. Because to follow Jesus isn't always smooth paved roads. To follow Jesus often is potholes. And if you can give Jesus nails and dishonor when the pothole hits, you don't understand the real journey of the Christian life. Because the Christian life is never like this. The ascension is always like this. It's always ups and downs. Some of y'all came in a room right now when y'all in that down moment. Maybe you hit a pothole, but don't give Jesus nails in the pothole. He's still worthy of palms. Still worthy of palms. I, I, was, I was reflecting on this morning. I was going, okay, what, what are the things that cause us to go from palms to nails? Things like tragedy or death of loved ones. I've passed along enough that I've talked to people that were on fire for Jesus and that fire burnt out because... Somebody died that they didn't think should have died. Could be a father, could be a nephew, could be a cousin. I remember my 24-year-old nephew passed years ago. He passed away. He struggled with his health for many years. And at 24, he passed. And I remember questioning God. Like, what, God, are you, are you really good? Those are the moments. And some of y'all, y'all did the same thing. What about a bad diagnosis? You get a bad diagnosis, it automatically makes us question if God is good. It makes us consider, should I really give him these palms or should I pull out the nails? Some of it's it's just life situations. It's things that happen. Maybe maybe it's disappointments. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe maybe it's a divorce or, or a broken relationship. And in those moments, we tend to fluctuate. But today, I think spiritual maturity is, I'm going to put these nails all the way away and I'm only giving him palms, no matter what the situation is. No, no, matter, no matter what it is. And I also want you to, to consider the two crowds are only separated by five days. Like today's Sunday, and they said, Hosanna, Good Friday is Friday. And that's when they said, crucify him. Which, which further convinces me that it's, some of it is the same crowd. And they were able to fluctuate five days. Be careful. Watch your spiritual walk. Don't, don't, don't let the cares of life pluck out the things that God has put in you. Don't, don't be so arrogant to think that I'm always going to be at the feet of Jesus. Nah, sometimes, anybody ever just get real mad with him? Come on, I know I do. Anybody ever had them, God, what's up prayers? If you ain't ever had them prayers, you got to live a little longer. God, what's up? Everybody else getting married around me and I'm still single. God, what's up? Every now and then you're going to have those prayers, but it's part of the spiritual sanctification. But my hope and prayer is that we would have more palms 
Hosanna in the highest. Now, this morning, I actually was going to end there. But this morning, God showed me that there's actually a third crowd. And the third crowd, there, 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 there are two, there's a pendulum swing happening here. There's the Hosanna in the highest. That's one extreme. And then there's the crucify him. That's another extreme. But there's some of you that's right in the middle. And I think the middle is represented in Luke 23 by Pontius Pilate. Because Pontius Pilate in the text today, he's not aggressively against Jesus. Little by little, the crowd dragged him into yielding to the Jewish demand. But it was little by little. Consider, I, man, this messed me up this morning. I was thinking about the flogging of Jesus and how on Friday they're going to rip his body to shreds. You know, the Bible says they pulled out the very beard out of his, uh, pulled out the hair out of his beard. They blindfolded him, struck him in the face and said, prophesy to us, which one of us uh, uh, struck you? They took a cattle nine tails and they beat him. They said 40 lashes minus one, meaning 39 times exposing his ribs and exposing his flesh. And when I considered that, I was going, it's because Pontius Pilate was mad. No, it's because Pontius Pilate thought he was innocent. I got to get in the text. Look at what the text says in Luke chapter 18. Verse number 20 says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Why? Because they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said to him, why? What evil has he done? He thinks he's innocent. I have found no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish him and release him. So Pontius Pilate thought that the flogging of Jesus would satisfy the evil appetite of the crowd. And so what Pontius Pilate does is he doesn't. Now, here's the thing about Pontius Pilate. Yeah, he denounces who Jesus is, but it's passive. That's the third crowd. That is the third crowd. The first crowd is the ones that say Hosanna in the highest. Then there's another crowd that's saying crucify him. Then there's a third crowd, which I don't want you to be confused about. That third crowd is passive Christianity, which really isn't Christianity. That's the third crowd. It's Pontius Pilate saying he's not worthy of death. I don't want to crucify him. I'll just flog him. But let me just tell you, a passive denunciation of Jesus is no less a, a denunciation of Jesus. Can I say that again? A passive denunciation of Jesus is no less a denunciation of Jesus. Yeah, Pilate might not be guilty of the extreme that the Jews had, but Pilate is guilty because he gave into their demands. And there's some of you in here. You like, you know, some things about Jesus. Let's be honest. You, you, you know, you think he's, he's a good moral guy. He has some good teachings. You know, that whole Isaiah piece where he wrote up the scroll, you like that. It's like, yo, that's dope, man. Like, there's some things that you like about Jesus. But here's my fear is that you like Jesus but aren't in love with Jesus. And what Jesus isn't calling for is a bunch of people that like him. What Jesus is calling for is servants that love him and want to worship him. And so passivity will not help you. It's still a denunciation of who Jesus is. So what I want to do today is I, I want to pray, honestly, for two crowds. Three. I want to pray for all three. The first crowd I want to pray for is the one that's, you are like crucify him. Then that, that second crowd I want to pray for is the crowd that is saying Hosanna, but let's be honest, we're like Peter, we fluctuate. Then there's a third crowd that I want to pray for, and that's the crowd that's more like Pontius Pilate, passive, nevertheless, a denunciation. Here's what I know is in the room. There are some of you that you're pulling out the palms and you're, you're excited about who Jesus is. Maybe you just gave your life to the Lord. Maybe you just profess faith in him and this, this is your life. This is our every day, palm. Every day, Hosanna. Every day, son of David. Every day, the king of kings. Every day, the Lord of Lords. And you're pulling out the palms and you can't wait. You're excited. You don't wait till Sunday to give Jesus praise, but you give Jesus praise Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we put that thing on repeat Monday, Tuesday, and we just keep pulling out the palms. That's, that's some of you. Some of you have just given, given your life to the Lord and you are on fire. Do y'all remember when y'all first gave your life to the Lord? You stay up all night praying. You, you, you'd confess things and, and, and repent of things that you normally didn't repent of. You'd spend your life giving. This is a thick one right here. 
You spend your life giving God praise. And I'm not just talking about through adoration, but in proclamation, but I'm actually talk, talking about demonstration. Some of you change behaviors and you were addicted to stuff and you broke the addiction and oh, I can't break this stuff. Here it is. Broke the addiction. And it, this is your life, man. Every day, every day you're like, man, I'm pulling out the palms. And this is, this is what, this is what you are hoping your life looks like. Hosanna in the highest son of David. Save us. Heal us. Heal the brokenness. And you were giving him palms. But there's another crew. And there's another crew that's not pulling out the palms. But today, even if you grab a palm, this is what you're pulling out. You're pulling out the nails. And your life is in shambles because we fluctuate between Hosanna As we move into Holy Week, there is no better Sunday to get it right than today. Some of you that are like Peter that are fluctuating between the two. This year, this is where God wants you to dwell in giving him praise and giving him glory. There's somebody in here. I, there's more than one person. There are people in this room that know if you die today, you know where you would go because you have not given your life to the Lord. Let me tell you something about Jesus. When Jesus rides in to Jerusalem, he's going to fix everything. And do you know what he says when he rides in? The Bible talks about how in Hebrews, how with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is the joy? What, what possible, what joy can you get out of pain and hardship? Here's the joy. You. Because he knows that once he completes the work of salvation, that you have now been reconciled forever and ever and ever in eternity with him. Palms is what I want to give him. But there's, there's, there's some people in this room. This, this is where your life is. You, you like him. You heard of him. But right now, you've not given him praise and adoration. You've given him nails. And today, here's grace. You can get it right today. If you don't know who Jesus is, every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Savior. Thank you, my King. That one person, two people who are bold enough to say, I have lived my life with a pocket full of nails, but today I'm trading them for palms and I want to give my life to this King that's riding on in to save my life. Today, you should give your life to him. Here's what he says. The day you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. So if that's you, if, you, if, if you're like, you know what? I, I hear you. I hear the gospel. I hear Jesus save me from, from my sins and I have not lived under his lordship. Would you do me a favor and just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. If that's you, if you're in this room and you know you haven't given your life to Jesus, you know you haven't walked with him, you know you've made wrong turns after wrong turns, would you give your life to him today? Why put off today? Why put up for tomorrow what you can do today? Life isn't, life isn't guaranteed for you. Listen, Atlantic Avenue is a busy street. You could walk out and get hit by a car today. You could stop breathing today. If COVID ain't teach us nothing else, it taught us how fickle life is. Who is it that would say, that's me? I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm holding it for a few seconds. Who is it that would say that's me? The next group I want to pray for is the group that's fluctuating. That you're, You've given your life to them and there are times where you give them palms, but let's be honest. Y'all know sometimes we give them nails. I want to pray for that group today. If that's you, that you want more consistency in your life, would you do me a favor? Would you just come down to the altar so we can pray together today? If you fluctuated, if you're kind of in between, if, if you're in between and, and, and you, sometimes you love them and sometimes you don't, and today, would you cut? Thank you for coming, sis. Thank you for coming, sis. Come on, who is it that's coming? Thank you for coming, sis. Thank you for coming, bro. Thank you, sis, for coming. Come on, who, who is it that wants to stop the hypocrisy? Who is it that wants to stop the inconsistency? 
day. Father, I thank you, oh God. Thank you, brother, for coming. Father, I thank you for these that came to the altar today. It is not by accident that you, that you brought them here today. This is, this is providential. This is how you do. You draw us to you. And so, Lord, yeah, we might we might have came because the sun came out today. So it was a good day to come to church. We might have came because we saw the stream last week. We was like, I'm going to check that out. That might be why we came. But ultimately, we came because you drew us. And so, Father, I pray for these that are on the altar that are confessing that we fluctuate, that we go in between. That we don't constantly and consistently live life saying Hosanna. But there are times where our life is saying crucify you. I thank you for their honesty. Thank you for their boldness. But I pray, oh God, that this year, that this year, that this year would be the year that spiritual maturity would uproot and take place in such a way that it would be evident by the friends that are around them. Would you make these young ladies on fire for you? Would you make these young men on fire for you? And may we be bold, not just in our proclamation, but how we, how we live. Lord, I thank you, oh God, that when you come in our lives, you, you change everything. There's nothing. I don't think the same. I don't act the same. I don't behave the same. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would put your hands on these young ladies and these young men. That you, that you, would, that you would show them what purpose looks like. And, and, and you, would, you would show them and clarify for them why they are on that job and why they are in that family and why they live on that block and why they're in that building. Would you crystallize for them that you want them to be palm carriers at all times? And Lord Jesus, we'll give your name the glory. We'll give your name the praise because we know that there's nobody like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Come on, let's thank God for these that came down to the altar. Thank you, Lord. Really, quick, really quickly, because I know you're in the room. I just want to pray for the ones that didn't raise their hands or didn't stand up or didn't, didn't publicly say, yeah, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. Can I pray for them for, for a second? Father, I pray, oh God, in this room for the ones that don't know you, that either are all the way on the other side where we're saying crucify or, or we're just, we're like Pontius Pilate where we're passive. Lord, I pray. Oh, God, that you would work in their, their hearts now. I pray that they wouldn't sleep until you've done the work, until they have responded and acknowledged who you are. I pray Monday you put somebody in their path to talk about Jesus. I pray Tuesday you put somebody in their path to talk about Jesus. And Lord, we're doing so because we understand that, yeah, one does plant, one does water, but it is you that gives the increase. So, Father, would you do the work in the life of some young lady or some young man that's in this room? Save them to the utmost. Save them, oh God, because you are gracious to do so. You've forgiven us for much, and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.